And we are now live. So we are in uh, uh, James uh, chapter 1 still. We're going to pick it up in verse 16, 17, 18. If we have time, we will get into 19 and beyond. Um, but I think we need to at least uh, take a, a look at the at this passage. There's a few things out of it. We will get a little faster, maybe. No. <laughs> maybe. You say that You say that now. I know. I said that now. We'll see. All depends on, on the discussion that we have. And discussion is good. So, That's right. All right. So uh, let's pick up our reading. Uh, we'll pick it up at um, verse 13 again, because I think it ties into to verse 16 just a bit. So we'll pick it up there, and then we'll take a look at 16, 17, and 18 specifically today, and hopefully maybe a little more if uh, God allows it. All right. So, in, in James chapter 1, verse uh, 13, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Remember, we talked about this in the Greek. It means uh, to be, uh, it's like a trap, a hook has been put bait on, or a trap has been set. And uh, it's enticing us to, to fall into the trap. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Now, don't be deceived, dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of all that he created. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. For a man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so pre prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. All right, we'll stop there. Big task to get there, but we start off with this idea of not being deceived. Every time, there's about three or four passages that this you get this idea of don't be deceived. Every time you see that, it's going to point out something very important that you need to know. First Corinthians 6, 9 says, don't you know? Same idea, don't be deceived. Uh, uh, that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. And it goes on to talk about a whole host of other people that will not re receive the kingdom of God. And then it, it goes on to say later on in that same passage in 1 Corinthians 6, and such were some of you, but you have been saved. You've been washed in the blood. 1 Corinthians 15 says, do not be misled. Don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. It, you know, that, that old axiom that we talk about, that, uh, one bad apple can spoil the barrel. That's what they're talking about. That, you know, depending upon how you, uh, the company you keep can change the way you think. Just like what you read or what you watch can change the way you think. It can be positive, it can be negative, depending upon what it is that you're, you're associating yourself with. Galatians 6, 7 says, don't be deceived, God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. So there's a, a warning. Whenever you hear that, it's a warning that you need to be aware of. And this warning in this passage is against being deceived and thinking that God is the author of temptation. He's not. 
if, if I could figure out a way of, of, if it was Val's translation, it would say, stop being deceived. Stop being deceived. Now, I want you, therefore, to consider God's goodness. You know, one of the tricks that the, enemies does, the enemy does is to convince us that God's holding out on us, that God is withholding the things that would really make us happy. Because if we were really happy, God would give us everything we want, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and when we get to be adults, we go, you know what? Now that I'm adult, I can eat anything I want. I don't have to exercise. I don't have to. What happens when we do that? Sometimes getting too much of something that even a good thing is bad for you. You know, you end up getting diabetes or get, becoming overweight or having high cholesterol, um, having to change pant sizes, and all those great <laughs> things, you know. Those are, those are tough things, but we, we deceive ourselves. You know, Satan approached Eve, and he suggested that God really didn't love her because if he really loved her, he'd let her eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because then she'd be like God. Satan tempted Jesus the same way. You know, remember, he says, you know, he raises the, the issue of hunger. Hey, if God loves you, why are you so hungry? Why don't you just, I don't know, just change these rocks into, into loaves of bread. That'd be okay. Nice dinner rolls, you know, or maybe a big loaf of bread. You know, that'd be good. I've often thought it'd be one, uh, you know, I have no idea what, what stones Satan was referring to, but could you imagine it was a big old boulder and Jesus did turn it into bread? That'd be I can't even imagine what that'd be like, big old piece of bread this big, you know? So the problem is that the goodness of God often uh, should be seen as a, as a barrier against yielding to temptation. Since God's good, we don't need anything else from anyone else including Satan, to meet our needs. But once we start doubting, once we start doubting, we, we are tempted to take the bait. We're, we're tempted to substitute God's goodness for a cheap parlor trick or some cheap imitation of what God is willing to give us. It's because we... It's because we don't know the desires of God. We have uh, not maybe, or maybe we we know the desires of God. We're just not patient to wait for Him. Well, verse fourteen. He wants to says, give us good things. Verse fourteen says, "By each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desire and enticed." Yeah. yeah. You know. Yeah. Do, do we know what is God desire in my life? Oh yeah. He wants to make you into the image of Christ. He wants to turn turn you back into what you you were, what we were designed to be originally before the fall. He has he wants to he wants to have a fellowship with us. He wants to right. give us the best of everything. Our problem is we don't think we don't think that what he wants to give us is best. I'm I'm reminded of uh, uh, Moses warns Israel not to forget God's goodness when they start to begin to enjoy the blessings of the promised land, listen to this in, in, in uh, Deuteronomy chapter six, if you want to look at it, Deuteronomy chapter six, I'm going to be starting in verse 10. Now, most of us know verse four, which uh -huh. is the Shema here, hero Israel, the Lord, our God, 
the Lord is one. The Lord, the, your God, love him with your heart, your soul, your strength. <coughs> and he says, um, uh, remember the commitments, teach them to your children. Talk about them when you sit down, when you walk in a way, whatever you do, tie them as symbols to your forehead. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And then verse 10, look at verse 10. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large and flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then, when you eat and are satisfied, listen to this in verse 12, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Fear the Lord your God and serve him only and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods and the gods of the people around you. For the Lord, Yahweh, is your God who is among you. And he is a jealous God and his anger will burn against you and he will destroy you from the face of the land. Do not test the Lord your God. <laughs> How are you doing with that? So often, I think you know, I end up I end up testing God a lot more than I should. I know, I know, I'm the only one that does it. I understand. <laughs> there are four facts that we find in in verse 17 and 18 that we need to at least talk about just a little bit. There are four facts about the goodness of God, and if my Computer works. And of course it didn't. All right, let's just turn the dial. I can't get any closer than that, but if you see there, the yeah, goodness good. of God. I'm sorry? I gotta get better lights here. If I if I need to throw some I'm gonna get some lighting in front of me that'll throw it up so you, you won't be on the board as bad. You can see the lights on them from the fluorescence. <clears throat> but it says this. this. Here's my point. God only gives good gifts. God only gives good gifts. If it did not come from God, it's not good. If it comes from God, it must be good, even if we don't see the goodness in it immediately. Mm. God only gives good gifts. Number one. Number two, the way God gives is good. In other words, you could translate the second clause in verse 17. <clears throat> Excuse me. You could translate it that uh, every good gift and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of light. You could translate it to mean every act of giving. You know, it's, it's possible for someone to give us a gift in a manner that isn't loving. Some of us have been giving gifts begrudgingly because, you know, we're on the list. Either at work or, you know, maybe, maybe we've had a relative that's done that. And because we're going to be at the, the celebration or they've been invited, they give us a gift, but they don't really want to. So it's, it's given kind of grudgingly. That's not the case here. Uh, the value of the gift can be dis diminished based upon the way 
it's presented or given to us. By the way, it's also possible for us to diminish the, 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 the gift itself when we're the receiver of it. When we don't think highly of the, of the fact that somebody gave us a gift. I can remember my wife and I were just married. We'd been married in, in August. It was December. It was the first year we were married and my wife was experiencing for the first time my mother's family. Now they were a family to, to, to experience. They were all Polish. And <clears throat> my grandmother was very opinionated when it came to what she liked and what she didn't like. So my, my wife had gone out and spent time buying gifts and she bought a gift to give to my grandmother. And I had had some input into it. And I don't know. I mean, I'm a guy. I don't know what my, my grandmother would like or not like. Didn't have a clue. So my wife gives her a gift and it's uh, some fairly expensive, but it's costume jewelry. And it was very nice. I thought it was very nice. And my grandmother <laughs> took it and it was okay. You could tell she wasn't overly impressed with it. And then she gets a gift from one of her favorite grandchildren. And it was a purse. Apparently it was a purse that she really wanted. So you know what she did? She held up a purse. Now this is a purse. <laughs> and then she held up the gift that we had given her and said, this is not a, this is not a gift. This is a gift. <laughs> this purse. Yikes. <laughs> Yo. My wife never bought my grandmother another gift. <laughs> she never got another gift. Why? Because she diminished the gift. Yeah, really. It was given out of act of love. So sometimes we, if it's given out of, out of a diminished act of love, sometimes it's received out. Of, how many times have you received something from God and not appreciated what you got? I can imagine, can you imagine Adam, he's standing before God, they've just sinned, she, Adam and Eve, right? And what's God, what does Adam say to, to, to God? The wife you gave me, it's your fault, God, you gave, you gave her to me. <laughs> the wife you gave me. So, Here's the thing. When God gives us a blessing, he does it in a loving and gracious manner. What he gives and how he gives are both good. That's number two. Number three, he constantly gives. That word there uh, is, is a present participle. It, it cometh down or comes down from the Father. It, it's, it's the idea that it keeps on coming down. It doesn't stop. It's not a one-time event. It's an ongoing thing that God does for us. He keeps, he doesn't just do it occasionally. He does it religiously, like that turn of phrase, I thought it was good. He does it religiously. Be, and, and you know how we know this? Every breath you take. Yeah, because he tells us so in his word. Our problem is we don't believe the, we don't believe what he tells us. Have you ever noticed that we think God is good enough to save us? We're not sure he's good enough to take care of us. 
Yeah, I, 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 I'll give God the, you know, the ability to do the big things. I'll, I'll trust him for that. But those little tiny things daily, you know, give us this day our daily bread. Yeah, I'm not too sure about that. That part of that daily stuff, I don't know. So he constantly gives. And then the last one here is he's a God that doesn't change. He can't change for the better because he's already perfect. He can't change for the better because he's already perfect. <clears throat> I'm remind, rem, reminded of uh, the story of David. David has sinned against God and against Uriah the Hittite. God, in fact, David has had Uriah the Hittite killed because he has a relationship with Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, and David happens to just accidentally get her pregnant. You know, as though that's an accident, right? <laughs> and so God tells Nathan, the prophet, to come before David and to point out David's sin. If, if David had remembered the goodness of God, I don't believe he would have ever taken Bathsheba and committed those sins. He might have had to deal with it with a mind that had done that. And Jesus says that even if you've done it in your mind, you've done it right. But this is what Nathan says in second Samuel. He comes before the King and he tells the King a story, you know, and he tells the story about the lamb and the guy that has a big, huge herd of sheep. And the guy that has the big herd of sheep likes that little lamb and decides to take it from the, the little shepherd that has the little lamb and, you know, David says, you know, he's getting his wrath. He says, ah, I'm going to, you know, we'll punish him, you know, to the utmost. We're going to give him everything he deserves. And so Nathan says, you're the man. You're the one that did it with Bathsheba. You took Uriah's lamb. And this is what he says in Second Samuel chapter 12, verses 7 and 8. He says, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king of, over Israel. I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house, your master's wives into your bosom, and I gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that was not too little, I, will, I would moreover have given unto you such and such things. I would have given you anything and everything you wanted. I gave it to you. I gave it to you. I gave it to you. And you didn't realize that what I was giving you was the best that could be given. So as I look at this, I look at it, there's a couple of things. There's a couple of barriers that God puts up against us when it comes to temptation, temptation to do evil, temptation to sin, temptation to do what's wrong. I'm going to turn this back. Hey, there I am in all my glory. So, um, one is this, one of, the, temp one of the, the barriers against temptation is the judgment of God. God will judge you. God will punish you if you disobey. But the second barrier is a positive barrier. It's the goodness of God. The, the fear of God is a healthy, we ought to fear God. We ought to fear what he can do. He is God after all. Too often, Today, we, we talk about God as though he's my, my buddy, he's my best friend, you know, or he's my lover, but he's also God Almighty. 
He's also God Almighty. And, and as such, we need to fear him. That's a healthy attitude. But there's a balance that we should have with that. And that is the love of God must balance his, the fear of God that he wants for us. He loves us. And we can obey him because he may chasten us, or we can obey him because he's already been so generous for us that we love him for what he's already done for us. I, I think I've told you this. I've given you this example. Uh, when, uh, you know, when, you're a, 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 when you have a baby, um, often ch- young children, especially, you know, up to their preteens, will obey you because they fear you. Um, from the time that they're about f- f- uh, mid mid age, you know, about uh, preteens and teenagers, you you basically they'll do you because you bribe them. You know, you do this, I'll do this. You don't do this, I'll do this. You, you're bribing them, kind of is how you do it, right? I'll take the car away. I'll ground you. I'll I will give you your allowance. You know, do this and I'll give you your allowance. Do this, and I'll let you use the car this weekend, or whatever the case may be. But when you start to get a little older and you get to be an, a, a, an adult, you start doing things and obeying your parents simply because you love them. It's not because of anything they can necessarily do for you. There, there reaches a point, especially like now in our age, when we, if those of us who still have parents alive, there's nothing they can give to us, nothing they can do for us. We just love them because they're our parents. And we try to take care of them. George, you're taking care of your, your mother-in-law. Why? Because your wife loves her. It's your mom. You want to make sure that she's taken care of. So she needs a little help. You do it. You do it out of the kindness and love of your heart. Not because, not because she's got any money that she's going to give you or because she's going to lavish some kind of, she might, you know, I, t- I see my dad twice a week, at least over FaceTime because I can't see him in person. He doesn't know who I am. Hmm. I still see him and talk to him. Oh. I tell him all about what's been going on in my life. You know? Why? Because I love him. I, and I want what's best for him. I check in. I, I, make, I make sure that he's, you know, got clean clothes. I make sure that he's taking his medication. He's getting his shots. He got his, his uh, 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 the shot for the virus. He got the second one. Hopefully, he was supposed to get it Monday. I guess he did. I don't know. I need to check. I'll be talking to him today. So I do that because I love him. God's gifts, you know, remember this. Joseph has the, you know, a positive attitude is what kept Joseph in line. He, He could have been tempted to sleep with Potiphar's wife. He chose not to. Why? He believed God, trusted God, loved God more than he loved, you know, getting whatever the world could give him. You ever notice that God's gifts are way better than Satan's bargains? Mm. It, it, it's almost as though any of you remember, any of you lived here in in, in uh, Detroit for a while, and you remember uh, a room called the Rainbow Room at Hudson's. It was the bargain basement. You know, when you it was the basement part of Hudson's. It's where uh, the the cheap stuff was. You get great deals. Yeah. But you, you, if you got to the bargain basement, you know you got a good get, you got a good price on it, right? But the, but it wasn't always necessarily good. We sometimes take God. We sometimes accept 
Satan's bar. When I was on, when I was on this, uh, in New York City, I've been there several times. Um, so I'm sure some of you have too. And I've been along Times Square. I've been down to uh, Broad, you know, Broadway and I've been back and I've walked the streets. I've had, you know, uh, dessert at one of the famous shops there, you know, right there along the, the walk. I'm staying in Times Square and there's all these vendors out at night. And they're selling you stuff that's dirt cheap. Uh, you know, it's a great bargain. Yeah. Now, when you actually get it into the daylight, you'll find it often the you know, <laughs> what looks like a great imprint, you know, or it's it, it's the wrong colors for the logo that they've got on it, you know, whether it's Polo or, you know, Ralph Lauren or, uh, you know, Tommy Hilfiger or you know whatever Nautica, it the, it's totally wrong. Or the watch that you got, you know, that Rolex that you got for nine ninety five, that that doesn't work after you walk away. Why? Because it's a bar. It's you you bought a you bought Satan's bargain versus God's best. So anyhow, I, you know, God's gifts are always better, always better. Our purpose, the one of the purposes that temptation. What, what's what do you? Why do you think that God allows temptation in, to come our way? That's the million dollar question. <laughs> so that we uh, choose Him. So we choose Him. That's good, Edwin. Yeah. So we know it's even minutes. Okay, that's good too. Yeah, He's making us stronger. Yeah, and I, I think you're onto something, Rick. And I want to go one step beyond that. Not only does he make it stronger, what does he do? He teaches us faith. Faith, yeah. That we love him. Teaches us patience too, doesn't he? Mm -hmm. We endure what we go through. Why? Because it teaches us faith because we know that God's going to provide. Yep. Is that a gift you would like to get back? It's a gift I've often wondered if it was really worth it, to be honest with you. There are times (laughs) it's like, I don't need any more patience, God. Thanks. (laughs) Got all that I... Got all that I ever want to have. I, I think as soon as you say, I don't need any more, you need more. Yeah, that's the problem. And that's when God says, yeah, it, you, you know, your opinion and my opinion are diametrically opposed, Val. Yeah. Let, let, well, let me, let me show you just how much patience you really do need. Yeah. It's, it's funny. When I, when I speak on stuff, often before I speak on it, I get to live it out. I get to usually fail at the practice that I'm trying to teach. I guess it gives me good examples, I guess. I don't know. Um, I'd, I'd like to actually do it right occasionally because then I wouldn't have that example. I'd have to borrow some example. But I'm looking at the fact that one of the purposes of temptation is to teach us patience. David was tempted to kill King Saul a couple of times. And he resists the temptation to kill him. And at one time he's... Saul is taking a bathroom break in a te- in in a cave, where David and all of his mighty men. If if Saul had got like gone around the corner, you know, and down the 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 cave a little ways, he'd run into all of David's men. They were hiding in a big old cave, right down around the Engedi area, and uh, uh, David doesn't uh, doesn't kill Saul. You know, another time. He, you know, he cuts off just a little hem of, of, of the garment. He walks out as Saul's going away and going down to the army. He goes, you know, why do you keep chasing me? Look, I could have killed you. He holds up a little piece of the cloth yeah. that he cut off. 
I could have killed you, but I didn't. God, David was anointed, and it took 15 years before he became the ruler of Judah. Not all of Israel, just Judah. Yeah. It took another seven to yep. 10 years before the rest of Israel said, yeah, maybe this is a good idea. Maybe we should make him king. 20, over 20 years, 22 to 25 years it took him to become totally king of, of Israel. He waited that long for God. It, took, it only took Moses 80 years to get ready <laughs> for 40 years of ministry. It only took David, you know, 22 years, maybe 25. What a man, oh man. Hey, Val. Yeah. Um, I have a, if I can go back, I, I have a problem with the, the whole temptation thing. And that is this. Most of us do have problems with temptation. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no. My, my thoughts on this are that I ask why. I don't need any help. You know what I'm saying? I don't need Satan to tempt me. I, oh, yeah. I have all the sin in my life. I have all the, yeah. everything I do on my own. I don't need his help. I'm like, why on earth would God leave him around to tempt us? Because <laughs> I don't need any help. Trust me. Yeah, you, you, you do pretty good on your own when it comes to sinning, huh? Yes. <laughs> Well, I, I think there's probably a couple of things. One, you know, as we grow closer to God, we resist some of the things that we're tempted, you know, that, that, are, that are from ourselves. And so I think when Satan comes to tempt us, it's because we're getting stronger in resisting our problems, the issues that we're dealing with. Now, my, I'll tell you, be honest with you, I'm not sure Satan bothers with me a whole lot because I don't think I've really conquered almost anything that God's been trying to teach me. I still think I'm, I'm pretty, I think I'm a pretty lousy guy when it comes to that. Yes. Not, I mean, not you. Well, thanks. I, I, I appreciate you recognizing that. You get a, you get a solid amen, right? <laughs> if we were in certain churches, that you'd have been waving a hanky at me, I know. <laughs> but you, you're right. I, there, I, and I think that's, that, that's my only answer. I don't know that that's a good answer, but that's, that's what I, I think. Well, that's one of the questions that – one of the first things I'm going to ask God when I see him is yeah, I why can't wait. did you not destroy him and get rid of him? You know, you had the chance, get rid of I mean, we don't need him in our life. We don't. There's no he needed, thing about him. He needed him to set up the first temptation. Yeah. Remember that parable with the, the wheat and the tares? And it, yeah. uh, maybe, we're, maybe we're somehow a uh, package deal. <laughs> yeah. what like did he that. say is it you remember the the the, uh, the parable that god has with the wheat and the tares and how they grow together he says maybe maybe it's a package deal <laughs> yeah. Yeah, i guess yeah there's a there's some there's some uh, wisdom to that larry i'm afraid um but I think I, you know, you're right, Dave. I, I sometimes think I don't need any. I don't need any help being tempted. I have enough 
I have enough issues I'm dealing with myself without, you know, Satan. Although I will tell you this, in Jewish theology at this time, in the first century, they used to, they used to uh, uh, describe our personal temptations of things that we are fighting with as uh, there's a good side and a bad side. So almost like, you know, on TV where you see the, the little angel that pops up on one shoulder and the, and the devil that pops up on the other shoulder and they look exactly like you, you know? And oh, yeah. which one do you listen to? Well, the Jewish theology of the time, some of them thought that, that Satan just inhabited our thoughts and would uh, encourage us to uh, to be tempted to 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 our weaknesses. Remember, weakness, all uh, temptation, always comes from three things. Where's uh, Dan? Dan, there you are. You've been quiet today, Dan. What are the three things that God's constantly tempting us? You mentioned out of First uh, John chapter two. Yeah, two sixteen. Yeah, and what does it say? It says the uh, three things: pride of life, lust of material things, and. Uh, Lust of the flesh. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and pride of life, man. All those things he wrapped up. And every time Satan tempts us, Satan tempted Jesus. You know the three temptations? If you compare those three temptations to the temptations that, to those three things, every Satan used every one of them against Jesus. Satan used those against Eve. Lust of the eyes. It looks good. Lust of the flesh. It would taste even better. Pride of life. You could become like God. See, All three of them. Right. Yeah. And, I, and I go back to what you said earlier when you were talking about the gifts of God and why, I'm paraphrasing this, but why, why isn't that enough, right? Yeah. And it's because, yeah. It's because of those things that you just talked about, and it's because of all of the there's there's two different plates that that come to us living in this world. There's all kinds of bad and evil and but there's also the the greatness of creation, right? Uh, mm-hmm. and, and everything in this world that's good and everything that's in this world that we enjoy so much those things compete with those gifts from from God. And some of those things that compete with God are gifts from God. Yeah. But we have to choose. And uh, so it, 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 it makes it difficult. Um, You know, I was talking to Steve Andrews yesterday about this and, you know, sometimes we talk about when a person is um, on their walk and they have, they're not completely all in for Christ. So they've got a foot in both worlds. Mm-hmm. Well, also, if this makes sense, you know, as a follower of Christ or whatever, we we do have a foot in both worlds because we live here. This is where we're mm-hmm. at. So because mm-hmm. we're here and we're, we're placed in this situation, yes, we're all part of another kingdom. But, but, we're here also. Yep. So we've, we've got all these balls in the air that we're juggling. Um, yep. The, the, this world and the, and the kingdom. Yep. And it yep. makes it, 
it makes it difficult at times. Yeah, it does. It does. All right. We talked about two barriers. Um, we talked about the barrier of the fact that God will judge us. Look ahead and beware of judgment. That's kind of, you know, the, the second barrier is look around and see how much he's given you. And uh, I think the third barrier is look within. So look look out, look in, and then look around. Look, realize that within, realize that you have been born from above and possess a divine nature. Uh, James uses, uses the picture of birth for sin and death, but he also goes on to explain how we enjoy victory over temptation. And... Uh, uh, it reminds me of what John says in 1 John 3, 9. says, no one is born of God will continue in sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he is born of God. And I think there are four characteristics, and we're going to try to end this today, and we'll have gotten through, who are ready for this? We'll basically have gotten through verse 18 as a result of finding these, these four things. And I showed, uh, some of you read, read the green writing, if I bring this back over to our board, and I, uh, I uh, come on now. Sometimes when it works, it's great, and when it doesn't, it's not so great. You can see the green. I don't know, maybe I need, maybe green doesn't show up real well. Oh. I should have used black. So there are four, four characteristics of, of, the, of this new birth. One, it's divine. Our new birth is divine. It, you don't get to enter the, the, the womb again for a second time. We're born from above. We're born from God. It's a spiritual birth. It's, it's divine. Secondly, it's gracious. Uh, we didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. God gives us spiritual birth because of his own grace and his own will. He says in John 1.13, which was born not of blood, human descent, nor of the will of flesh, human effort, nor of the will of man, human assistance, but of God. So God gives us graciously, the, the new birth is divine, it's graciously given, it's given as a result of through the word of God. First uh, John 3, 6, that which is born of flesh is flesh, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. First uh, Peter one twenty three: be born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. Well, our new birth is a result of uh, the word of God indwelling us and, and giving birth in us. And then finally, it's the finest, it's the best birth possible. We're told that we are the first fruits of his creation. You want something to brag about? Not because we deserve it, but simply because God's chosen us to be his first fruits. In, in, this whole idea, I wish I had time to unpack this, but I, I won't because we're going to run out of time here. But the idea of first fruits comes, goes all the way back to the Old Testament, goes all the way back to uh, the Torah. Um, in Proverbs 3.9, it says, To honor the Lord with your substance, with the first fruits of all of your increase. When a farmer has brought in a harvest, the first thing they did, the very first of it was to be given to God. Of all of the creatures uh, God has in this universe, Christians are the very highest. Why? Because we're the first. We're first fruits. We share in God's nature. God gave us his nature. For this reason, it's beneath our dignity to accept Satan's bait or desire sinful things. My problem is I don't remember that. 
by, by granting us new birth, God has declared that he cannot accept the old birth. Uh, throughout the Bible, God almost always rejects, not always, but often rejects the firstborn and accepts the secondborn. Think about this. Abel, not Cain. Isaac, not Ishmael. Jacob, not Esau. He rejects our first birth, no matter how noble it might be. If I don't know any of us who came from, came from noble blood. But uh, no matter how noble we might be or how great or high up we might be viewed in men's eyes, but he announces that you need a second birth. And it's the second birth that is going to, what is going to help us to overcome temptation. Now, if you're going to make that happen, if you're going to make that, that happen in your life, if you're going to overcome temptation with this new birth, you have a new nature. You've got to make sure you feed it which means you need to study God's word daily, which, by the way, is the reason why I'm going to be sending you out 40 days of, of Lent for you to look, go through, read it. We'll discuss it over the next period of time up to Easter. We will look at, uh, at the journey of Jesus and the preparation that he has and the preparation that we need to make as we look to what God did for us at the cross. It wasn't done uh, randomly. It was done on purpose. Remember, God knew everything that was going to happen before it ever happened. He still chose to create us, and he still chose, and the son chose to give his life, to ransom us, to bring us back into a relationship with God. God loves us enough that he wants and desires to have a relationship with us. And the only way that can happen is through the second birth, through the new birth that God gives us. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's Jesus' answer to temptation in Matthew 4 4. Remember that. Remember that today. I need to remember it today. I need to remember it throughout this week. Man does not live by bread or, in case of those of us who like uh, going to Italy, pasta. God does not live by, man does not live by pasta alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. All right. With that being said, we're going to end our recording. And, uh, 